What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia and Meowbox. First, Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for you, the listener of the two-man power trip of wrestling, courtesy of Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And as well, like I mentioned, Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia, Our friends at Collector's World will be presenting WWE Hall of Famer and former Intercontinental Champion and former Tag Team Champion, the legendary El Matador Tito Santana, this coming Saturday, May 21st, in Annandale, Virginia, at Collector's World. And of course, as always, check out CollectorsWorldVA.com for more information on that amazing event. And with all that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz. And John, today our guest on the show is a familiar face to WWE fans. You might remember him as Kurt Hawkins. But if you heard that Let's Go Mets music off the top, you know that we are joined by the Prince of Queens himself, a fellow member of the Seven Line Army. The great Brian Myers joins the program today. 
And what perfect timing to have on Brian Myers as the big WWE cuts just happened a few weeks back. And who better than to get his opinion on the WWE cuts and somebody who was there for seven years and got to see these things happen in the flesh. And it's kind of funny. I said, you know, to, on the show, we said, hey, is this going to make the independents better that we're going to have a lot of new fresh faces out there? But from somebody who's been on the inside of WWE and now also on the outside, I think Brian Myers is a pretty fresh take on the whole scenario as well as, you know, the fact that he's a part of a, a promotion like WrestlePro who's booking some of these big name talents that are coming off these WWE runs. But Brian Myers, in all due respect to him, has had an amazing career post WWE and is really one of the greatest success stories that he's been able to accomplish so much since leaving WWE a few years back. And John, with all that being said, why don't we welcome you in now and get your take on uh, Brian Myers and the hot topics that we got to talk about in the WWE releases. You know what, Chad? This was a really, really awesome, really, really fun episode here at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And Brian Myers is just a great guest because there's so many different topics you can talk about. There's so many different things that we wanted to get into him, uh, in with him. I mean, it was just crazy how many topics we could discuss. But one of the first things that we always want to discuss is something of a hot topic. And the hot topic right now is the WB releases. And we just get into it right away. And we're talking about Sandow's release and obviously Hornswoggle, who's a good friend of his. We talk about his release and, and things like that. But we also talk about you know him and his career and what he's done since his release you know a lot of people a lot of you know fans out there on the internet kind of make a joke like oh they're you know their life's over uh, you know they get released by wb well the life isn't over the career isn't over and some you know some might say your career starts anew when you get released from the wb and nobody more perfectly does that suit than brian myers because look at all the awesome stuff that he's been able to do since his wb release create a pro wrestling academy that he's got going on with Pat Buck, WrestlePro that he's got going on, Global Force that he's got going on, the all around the independent scene. He's working all around the globe. And it's just awesome to see that part of it and see that, you know, life doesn't end after the WWE released. It it only just begins. So it was really cool to talk about all that and all the great things that he's been able to do, been able to accomplish. He even had a little run there in TNA, which was pretty great. So we get into it right away. We talk about what he's been doing since his release and of course the many releases that the WWE just had as as you know most of you know the eight releases that have just occurred i think those releases kind of took the newer fans by surprise because the WWE used to do this a lot where they would cut a, a pretty healthy amount of talent after a wrestlemania or maybe some say as a cost-cutting measure and they would call it spring cleaning or Black Friday or something like that. And they remember it going back a good, you know, 10, 12 years where these were pretty prominent amount of cuts that they would just let all these guys go in one lump. And back, in, you know, 10, 12 years ago, you didn't really hear from some guys right away. But now with all the different independents out there and the places that you can go, you hear from these guys nearly uh, almost the next day. And that's kind of cool because Brian Myers was known for the fact that he was released on a Friday and he was booked that weekend in New Jersey. And that is just, that is really cool because he is a hardworking man. And it shows in one of his best friends still being in the WWE. And that is Zack Ryder. We all know their connection. We all know that they were a tag team, the Majors Brothers and the Major Brothers and then the, the Edgeheads. And 
all the different incarnations that they had as a duo before going their separate ways. But the bond that those two have as friends is quite inseparable and is uh, kind of a comparable two-man power trip team in their own right. And the fact that these guys grew up together not too far away from each other out there on Long Island and really created such a bond and the fact that they looked alike and they were training together. They made a perfect tag team and they've done so well as a team in so many different promotions. But John, I think the friendship itself is a true testament. And with Zack Ryder being another heartwarming story in the world of wrestling this year, winning the, the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. It's really cool to get his good friend Brian Myers take on what's been going on in his career, as well as finding a little bit more about how those two became such good buddies. One of the more intriguing topics that we get into is the team of the Majors brothers, or the Major brothers. We get into the, that whole story about the names and the name changes, which always intrigues me because I'm always wondering who picks the names, where are the names coming from, why this, why that. And we get into all that with Brian Myers, which is great. But specifically, I would love talking about the relationship with Zack Ryder. I mean, geez, they've been friends forever. They've been tag champs. In pretty much every league that they've ever been to together, they've been wrestling together forever. So we go into that whole relationship, and obviously Zack Ryder's still with the WWE and winning the Intercontinental title at Mania, subsequently losing it pretty quickly. We get into that and the funniness of that. We get into his friendship with Dolph Ziggler as well. But the Zack Ryder stuff really intrigues me because basically, you know, very similar style, very similar in ring very similar gimmicks obviously Zack Ryder created a little bit more with that Jersey Shore kind of bro thing but you know they're very similar very close-knit and obviously they've been friends for a very very long time so we love getting his opinion on Zack who is a good buddy of obviously and I just love getting into in digging deep in, into the career of Brian Myers as we, as we go all the way back to New York Wrestling Connection with Mikey Whipwreck and basically where he met Zach, how they became friends, them going training together. So you're really, really going to enjoy that stuff because that stuff really, really was some interesting, cool stuff. Absolutely. And don't forget the fact that Brian Myers has been one of the few guys who's been through the WWE developmental through every basically every stage it's had in the last 10 years. He's been through FCW. He's been through OVW. He's been through NXT and he's done it all. He's seen it all. And he's probably the best source that you could possibly have when it comes to that developmental experience and what's going on. Actually, even now in the WWE, because he's been down there, he's been to the Performance Center, he's been a part of what's been built down there, and obviously his uh, time, his skills in NXT and FCW and OVW have made him quite the source to go to when it comes to somebody uh, possibly wanting to vent their frustrations on the developmental process or just share some funny stories. He's really been a guy who's set himself out and in, uh, in, with the help of high spots in setting up an environment where he can really get out his stories and share his knowledge about the WWE developmental system. One topic that really, really just sticks out, kind of like a sore thumb, it's like he has a show or, or a DVD or whatever you want to call it with high spots called Developmentally Speaking, and there's no person more perfectly suited for that show and to be talking about WWE developmental than Brian Myers. This is just a topic that I was dying to get into, and we do talk about each league that he was in in developmental and his experience in each one and kind of uh, get some intriguing stories and some interesting stuff from each and every 
you know, developmental territory he was in. So you get some OVW stuff, you get some Deep South stuff, you get some FCW stuff, and then of course we touch upon his time in NXT down there in the Performance Center. So we talk about all things developmental, and obviously if you want to get developmentally speaking, just go to highspots.com. You can download it, you can buy the DVDs, you do whatever you got to do, but it's so funny, and they tell you to get some good topics, and he's got some great guests on there, so definitely, definitely, without a doubt, check that out. That is some great stuff. So if you want to hear about some developmental stuff, definitely hit that up and if you want to hear some cool developmental stories definitely stick around because we talk OVW, DSW, FCW, NXT and everything in between absolutely and if you see Brian Myers coming to a wrestling show near you please go out of your way to go over and meet him tell him you heard him on the two-man power trip of wrestling and do everything you can to support WrestlePro and create a pro wrestling training academy He's one of the best guys you could possibly learn from. He's done so much within the business in, in such a short amount of time. He's still a really young dude, but he's a loyal member of that seven-line army, and we cannot forget that. A big let's go Mets to Brian Myers. And with all that being said, I want to remind you that this coming Saturday, May 21st, at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia, WWE Hall of Famer Tito Santana will be signing autographs and taking pictures. Get on over to CollectorsWorldVA.com for more information about that event. And as always, head on over to Meowbox.com. Use our code POWERTRIP10, and you're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription. I just had a, a very nice conversation with a listener who saved about $15 on their first subscription. So, hey, take advantage of that PowerTrip10 while you can. Meowbox is one of our greatest and most loyal partners, and we do love them very, very much, and thank you so much for taking advantage of that Power Trip 10 code. So, John, send them to the two-man Power Trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the great Brian Myers. Yes, Meow Box is back. Not only is your Meow Box personalized by hand with your cat's name written on the inside of the box, all of the edible items are made in Canada or the USA so you know where all your ingredients are coming from. Also, they have a program, it's a giving program, it's called One Box Can. With every Meow Box purchase, they donate a can of food to a shelter cat on your behalf. Also, and most importantly to me, for picky cats like mine, my cat is Lucy, who has a very special diet, we offer to receive meow boxes with absolutely no edible items. They actually replace food and treats with more toys and more surprises. So that's meowbox.com. Please enter promo code POWERTRIP10 and receive 10% off your first subscription. Again, it's meowbox.com. Enter the promo code POWERTRIP10. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. We are releasing the latest and greatest clips. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on there, please check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body Ventura, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the phenomenal AJ Styles, the Demon. Glenn Kane Jacobs, The Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, Stan the Laird Hansen, and many, many more. Also, please 
check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. You can now check us out on Google Play as well as Player FM and the i95 Sports Network. For any bookings, please hit up our email, bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com for any of your booking needs. Also, check out our store on ProWrestlingTees.com. It is new and it is awesome. So please check it out as ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, while you're there, check out the Kevin Thorne page as well as the Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff page and the coming soon, the Buff Bagwell page. So please check that out on ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado... A former WWE Tag Team Champion. A former TNA Tag Team Champion. He is formerly known as Kurt Hawkins. But right now you can know him as the Prince of Queens. He is Brian Myers. Please enjoy. today is a former WWE Tag Team Champion. He's also a former TNA Tag Team Champion. You've known him as Kurt Hawkins, but I like to call him the Prince of Queens. He's one of the greatest Met fans that you're ever going to find. The great Brian Myers joins the program today. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Oh, just uh, it's great to have another friendly, uh, friendly face in the Met world on here because I'd say about six, seven months ago, we were actually talking 1986 Mets with Homicide, of all people. Even though <laughs> Homicide is a Yankee fan, he, uh, he's got a great affinity for the 86 team. So with your ring gear and your T-shirts being very Met-themed, it's nice to have a friendly face. Yeah, I mean, uh, Homicide's a diehard Yankee guy, but uh, if you don't like the 86 Mets, there's, you know, there's something seriously wrong with you. You're, you're not a sports fan, basically, if you don't like that. Yeah, exactly. That was his argument, is that he was a big Gary Carter fan. He said no matter what, no matter what his feelings are about the Mets, he loved Gary Carter and wanted to know why the Mets only had that one uh, ring in the 80s. And, of course, he had to break it down. But uh, definitely it's one of my favorite moments so far on the show. But uh, definitely the Prince of Queens is one of the best nicknames. And I always talk to John about how much I love your ring gear and your your T-shirts. But why don't we start talking about a little wrestling here. And this is – Kind of an interesting place to start. The last week, the uh, the internet, you know, the IWC, whatever you want to call it, has been a buzz about the recent releases from the WWE of about seven or eight guys, including even the Brooklyn Brawler of all people. But I don't know if anybody remembers the fact that this is not a rare thing for WWE that they will release a bunch of guys at once, and whether you call it spring cleaning or Black Friday or whatever it's going to be, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, this recent cut of guys, and now has the uh, the independent scene gotten a little better that there's a lot of new faces out there? Yeah, I mean, this mass firing style of WWE has been going on for over a decade now. I want to, I want to say the first one I remember was, like, in 2004. So, uh, it, you know, it shouldn't be too big of a surprise. Like, if you're not doing anything and you're not in the mix, as far as WWE television goes, you shouldn't be so blindsided, you know. Um, 
I think it's cool though. It, it, uh, what I like about it is not being in it. In the, I don't like. Let me rephrase that. I don't like anyone losing their job, of course. But as an independent wrestler, I do like when all these fresh faces come in and kind of uh, kind of recharge everything. You know, there's fresh matchups and different things like that. You know, um, I'm very good friends with Hornswoggle, so I selfishly love that I'm going to get to see him again all the time and do you know wrestle him and do a lot of cool things together. Um, so that part of it, as far as, you know, like people just need to understand and these performers that got like, I need to understand that wrestling is everywhere. Just because there's not a WWE logo next to you when you walk out doesn't mean it's not pro wrestling. I, you know, life goes on and pro wrestling certainly goes on in many other places in many different forms. So uh, if, if you're good enough and you're willing to put in the work and hustle a little bit, you know, a wrestling life can continue on. Yeah, that's uh, that's excellently said. And I gotta say, it, we're getting we're getting closer and closer with each group of guys that's kind of filtered in and filtered out. That the kids that are coming up through NXT now are going to be in that group. Unfortunately, that will be phased out at some point as you have seventy guys in developmental at once. And when you see a familiar face like a Hornswoggle or a Sandow or even like Alex Riley being let go after being under that WWE umbrella for gosh, I mean in Sandow's case, you know basically on and off for, you know, 11, 12 years, this new crop of kids and these kids coming out of NXT when it's their time and they're going to be getting out into the independence for the first time ever, do you think that that's going to be somewhat of a, uh, like a, a light for them that now the independent scene is becoming, you know, such a big deal again with all these, I mean, these creative promotions that just it's not, you know, a dark armory anymore with smoke in the air. It's actually full-blown shows now. It's it's a case by case scenario because I saw and I always thought to myself I saw so many guys get let go when I was in WWE and then just sit home and feel sorry for themselves and their career just goes to nothing. But uh, you know wrestling doesn't owe anybody anything and you got to get out there you got you got to get on the phone you got to write some emails you got to you know cut some deals and get your face out there to stay relevant and you know that's what I've done and uh, I'll continue to do it because I love wrestling and I love what I do but I know that. You know, there's work that goes into that. I got like on a Thursday and I wrestled Friday and Saturday of that weekend. You know, I would hit the ground running, and that's what you got to do. Um, unfortunately, I do see the disadvantage in someone per se like Alex Riley, who uh, I think he's a great wrestler and uh, a really incredible promo guy and stuff, and I really enjoyed his work. But that being said, he had no prior independent wrestling experience whatsoever. He's somebody who went straight from like college football to the WWE. So the Shell shock of what is out of him might be a lot for somebody like that, whereas, like, Hornswoggle was on the Indies for years and, you know, kind of just has to remember to fall. You know, it was 10 years ago, but he's got to just fall back into it and, you know, he'll be good to go. Um, I do feel bad for those guys because that's going to be just a completely different experience for them. But it, it's doable, you know. Like I said, you got to put the work in. Yeah, you definitely were a case where uh, no rest for the weary. You were out there almost immediately, and that's one of the things that I love about following, you know, your career and your post-WWE life is that you're so creative when it comes to the things that you do, and you're always really in the mix. When you see a new promotion popping up, you're always seeing Brian Myers kind of uh, get, making his way there just because I think people see your passion and see that you're very dedicated to professional wrestling, and it's no secret how big of a fan you are. Now, is that another thing that we're starting to see, too, is a guy like Alex Riley, maybe who just came through the system and now he's let go from the system. 
maybe not a lot of people are coming in as fans. You know, you hear that case, like, back in the day, it was Lex Luger. Lex Luger wasn't a fan of wrestling, but by God, did he have the look, the body, the whole nine yards for it. Do you think this is now something that people are going to start falling into, is that not only are they getting onto that indie scene for the first time, but they're not really, you know, they're not diehard fans from, you know, the get-go, so they don't really know what to expect. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that hurts performers no matter what, always. I think there'll just always be this disconnect if you weren't a fan beforehand. You know, like, I, I'm not bragging or anything, but I went to wrestling school, and the guy was like, you know, throw a drop kick, and boom, I threw a drop kick because I've been dreaming and wanting to do this my entire life, you know, 18 years leading up to that one moment. Like, and I just knew, you know, whereas, you know, someone has never really watched wrestling or is a casual fan and didn't watch it growing up, you know, okay, you have to explain everything. And it's just, there's always going to be a slight disconnect to me in that sense, or you need to be like a Brock Lesnar or Kurt Angle super freak athlete to overcome some of those hurdles. Um, what I think is cool on the flip side of all this is that kind of even when I first started, it was like very shunned to uh, express how much of a fan you were, you know? You you know, you didn't want to be a wrestler who was labeled the mark also, whereas I think now, like, my generation has kind of spun that you know, on its head where it's like, okay, no, it's better to be a fan of the business and it's cool to show respect and, uh, you know, how much you admire the people that came before you and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, if anything, it's just going to help your career that, you know, you're informed and passionate about what you do. You know, they're definitely, definitely right on that. And it's interesting now, like some of the guys coming in and WWE developmental is so much different than when you took part in it. Obviously, and you have a great series from uh, High Spot, developmentally speaking, great DVD series. Anybody out there, you should definitely go check that out. A lot of good stuff on there. But if you think about the WWE Developmental now when NXT and the guys coming in in the Performance Center, how about the difference between then and now? Because when you came up, when it was Deep South or even OPW, you know, you come in, you were the Majors Brothers. But what, you know, do you see the complete opposite and the complete different ends of the spectrum? Um, I mean, we could literally sit and talk about this for uh, weeks upon end. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the drastic difference is so crazy. And anyone who has any interest in it, uh, I do suggest you check out my ongoing High Spots series called Developmentally Speaking, like you said, because I get guys in there and we go into great detail about just how incredibly different it was. And we're only talking about, you know, a couple of years ago, less than 10 years ago, when the things they've done, uh, WWE have done, really need to be commended because it's, it finally is something worth uh, be, being proud of. You know, it, it's turning out guys, and it's very uh, intelligently run now, whereas just, you know, a couple of years ago when I was in, in there, it was the wild, wild west, like um, pretty unbelievable. So if you want more uh, in-depth details, there's just, it's an ongoing series where I interview all kinds of guys who were in it with me. And I, uh, I always found myself – the whole concept was mine to begin with, but I kind of deemed myself kind of like a uh, – king of developmental because I spent time in Deep South, OVW, FCW, and the Performance Center, so I really ran the modern-day gamut of uh, developmentals. Hmm. To say the least, definitely. And it's interesting, like you said, how much difference has been made. And you kind of made a, you know, you alluded to it being the wild, wild west back then, but when you started up, obviously, you know, you're with Zach Ryder, um, I guess he was Brett Majors, I guess, at that point, and you were Brian Majors. When you first got signed and when you first went in there, was it kind of everything you expected, or was it weird coming off training with Whiprack and then going to Deep South? Um, like, 
our, our case is a little weird because we were only 20 years old, so we're like legit kids, and we're there with men <laughs> all competing for the same thing. And that being said, we were like – Mikey was hard on us as a trainer, which was great, and I'm grateful for that. And Bill DeMott was like – extremely hard on us, but also we were so impressionable and so green. Like, we had no chip on our shoulder whatsoever because we knew we didn't know anything. So, I mean, Bill could have told us to jump off a fucking bridge and we would have done it because we just, you know, we were just, we were all in on, you know, just uh, learning and being a part of this experience, you know. So, uh, that's a little different. I I mean, I, I remember being there. I remember being there. Sorry. I remember being there with uh, like a veteran like Johnny Swinger or something, who uh, you know he's he's seeing us do all these crazy drills and stuff. Where whereas like at the time Zach and I didn't think a whole lot of it and we just went for it because we were so gullible and naive. And he's looking around going like, "This shit is crazy. Like, why are people doing this?" You know. Um, and that's something I can look back on and realize. But you know, at the time I was just so like I said, all in that it didn't matter. You always hear crazy stories about Deep South and. You know, it kind of just like closing overnight, and then just shutting the door. Oh man, I always tell the high spots guys, I would it would just take a lot of work, but I would love, love to do a documentary on it, like, um, and just get all the interviews that we could, and just really like put, you know, put put something together because it's such a bizarre story. I think that it's worth telling. <laughs> we actually we talked to Bill Barron uh, not too long ago about it. We you know we had an interview with him. And we, you know, he, we kind of went into what happened in Deep South, and he's like, "Oh my!" Like almost the same thing you said, "Oh my God, I'm be have to be here forever." The disconnect between everyone there, and it basically, I guess, right? It just closed uh, overnight, almost. It was just like, "All right, pack it up. We're done with Deep South." It, it was crazy. Yeah, we um, we had a regular practice in the morning. Uh, at that time, Bill had already been fired, and Dr. Tom was our coach, and he's like, "Oh, you know, Johnny East is coming in uh, in the afternoon. Come back for a meeting." So we all came back, you know, dressed in Viz Cash for this meeting, and <laughs> Tom walks out and goes, "This place is fucking bad business. WWE doesn't do bad business. It's, I'm closing it down right the fuck now. Get every piece of WWE equipment out of this building right now." <laughs> We're all like <laughs> stressed to the nines, and we have to like tear apart this place. This was one of the craziest things that I've ever been a part of in my life. Was everyone just completely shocked about Johnny Ace coming down and just shutting it down just like that? Oh, yeah, completely shocked. I mean, he would come down all the time, but it would be to, you know, check on talent or yell at us about something because people are always writing, like, anonymous letters and complaining about something. So it was a mess. But nobody was thinking that, you know. So then you go from Deep South, and then I guess you go to OVW. Who was in charge of OVW at this point in time? Uh, Al Snow. Was he, he was booking as well? There wasn't a Heyman or a Cornette there to book? No, it was uh, pretty much all out, yeah. What do you think about your time down there in OVW? Because it seems like OVW did create a lot of stars, but at one point it seems like WB again, just like maybe like you said, maybe it was like a Wild West thing where they kind of gave up. On um, it, it had the same uh, similar problems that these styles. It's like the huge disconnect and, you know, not the the office to OVW disconnect was just very evident. Um, and the, like we Zach and I were in this super weird situation where we they shut down Deep South and we debuted like two weeks later on ECW and then got sent to OVW. So we were kind of like already gone, but we were still there. And we wound up doing like seven or eight months of like almost like not having a day off because we'd be at OVW whenever we were home and then on the road doing WWE shows. So uh, it was a pretty crazy time. It was a very 
tiring time, and we were just trying to, like, it was like a race to the finish line. Like, we were just every day just get the TV and just hope that Johnny would tell us, okay, you guys are done. You don't have to be in Dolphins anymore. Hmm. Did you enjoy your time down there in OVW at all? Um, yeah, I really loved um, pretty much nothing to do with the actual wrestling, but all the, like, camaraderie and going out and meeting guys. Like, some of my, my some of my really good friends in the business, like Colt Cabana and stuff, I, you know, made down there, and it was just a total blast in that sense. It seems like everywhere you go, you and Zack Ryder, I mean, you guys are together going here, going there. What has that relationship been like? And have you guys been friends basically your whole entire life? Yeah, we, uh, so at the training school in Long Island that we started at, I started and then Zach showed up about two and a half months later. Um, we grew up like 25 minutes from each other, same age. We're like, like 20 days in, uh, apart in age. Um, and then almost pretty much immediately as he came in, everyone's like, oh, you look like Myers and blah, blah, blah. And like we were thrust together as a tag team within, you know, the first month of even knowing each other. So we were, together the entire time, which I think, you know, we were just both totally uh, lucky to have all that kind of fall into place because it was a lot easier to go through it together than to go through all this alone. Absolutely, and being so young in the business. That's too, you know, kind we of, were 18, 19, so. Yeah, was it kind of a shell shock for you guys being that young and kind of elevating quickly through the ranks? Um, I, I, like I said, at the time, I didn't really process it all because, like, we had no ego or anything like that. We didn't, we literally didn't know shit and we were just trying to learn everything. Like we knew we were green. So we were just like a sponge and, and really just worked so hard in any situation that was put in front of us. Cause we, we both just absolutely have loved wrestling our whole lives and wanted this so bad. And you said you loved wrestling your whole life. And I have a feeling that you must've been a big a Brian Pillman fan because you obviously, you know, you always carry around that cane and stuff. Was he a big influence on you wanting to get into the business? Um, no, I mean, he was one of my first, like, favorite wrestlers, like, being, like, super young and just as simple as Flying Brian and having the same name and that <laughs> that cool <laughs> nickname. Like, I mean, the uh, the Bengals trunks, uh, I mean, I was, I was hooked. Um, he was definitely one of my first favorites. Um, and then kind of, like, as his character evolved, I, you know, I, I dug that, too, and went along with it, and that is... 100% where the cane comes from is ripped off from his ECW debut. I remember well. Very, very cool. And I like that you come out with the cane. It's almost like an homage to uh, Brian Pillman, obviously, when he was doing that crazy, you know, the horseman gimmick, and he was in ECW and WCW, so it was obviously it was more towards his uh, his darker days, but more of his cool character when he was unpredictable, and you never knew what he was going to do next or where he was going to show up next. Yeah, I think it's that, like, even to this day, people debate, like, what was at work and what wasn't, you know. I don't have to be something that I think would be really difficult to pull off this day and age, but it's cool that, you know, 20 years later, people are still wondering, like, whether he was fucking around with them or really, you know, lost his marbles a little bit there, or, you know, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. We actually just talked to uh, Kevin Sullivan about it as well, and he said he still has no idea if he was working <laughs> him. Or if you know, or if that was, uh, or if that was shoot, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome about him. But I was really curious about you and Ryder. I mean, like you said, you guys known each other forever. You're friends forever. Where does the Majors Brothers name come from? Is that something you guys came up with, or something that they tagged you with? So he 
he was always Brett Matthews because his name is Matthew Brett Cardona. So he just flipped the first and middle name. So And I was always Brian Myers. For some reason, I know, like, you know, a lot of people fantasize about being this or that. Like, even when I was a little kid, I always wanted to just be Brian Myers, the wrestler. Like, I never – I guess I was so naive I didn't even think that people had fake names, you know, kind of thing. So I always just wanted to be Brian Myers. So when we started out in the Independence, I was Brian Myers, and he was Brett Matthews. Um, then we got signed, and we – reported to Deep South, Kevin Matthews was already there, so they immediately said he can't be Brett Matthews. So we went to the drawing board to, to come up with a name for him. Um, we both had boots that we spent a lot of money on that say BM, the initials on them. So we obviously had to keep that M. Um, and then I remember he finally, we came up with Majors. We thought that was cool, Brett Majors. So when we went to Bill... To tell him, he tells him, okay, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I love it, that's great. He's like, and you're Brian Majors. And I go, what? Yeah, we're going to make you guys brothers. And, like, <laughs> we had, like, no saying in it whatsoever. It's like, okay. Uh, but we weren't expecting it either. And it's funny, you know, like, the way weird things happen like that in wrestling, you don't really think about it. There's no divine plan. But, you know, you guys were kind of like uh, the Midnight Express here. You went in tag titles everywhere you go, Deep South, SCW, uh, WWE, OVW, I mean, you guys won tag titles everywhere. Is it kind of just awesome to look back and be like, man, you know, me and my buddy forever were a tag team. They were pretending we're brothers, and we're, you know, we're dominating each, each, you know, basically each league we go to, we're winning titles. Um, yeah, I think, like, later on in my career, I can sit back and reflect on things like that. Like, even at this point, I still think I'm so young as far as a pro wrestler that, like, and there's so many things I still want to accomplish and do that I, I don't, I don't really think like that yet. I'm sure I will one day, you know, appreciate a lot of it more or reflect on it. But I'm still like, you know, in the mindset of the uh, pedal to the metal and getting things done. So one day I'm sure. And then when you were the majors brothers, then obviously, like you mentioned, you were ECW and they kind of moved you to SmackDown and basically they bring you up to the, the major, you know, the main roster. What was the, transition from majors brothers and then they make you the major brothers was there any sort of you know grand plan for that um i think because we did dark matches for a month before we actually made our ecw debut i think justin roberts this is just i'm pretty sure this is what happened i think justin roberts explained to somebody in creative maybe dusty Rhodes or whatever at the time who was writing ecw that Majors Brothers is kind of weird to say. Instead of Major Brothers, is a lot easier <laughs> to, to pronounce, especially for him who's trying to say it with, you know, uh, different tones in his voice. So I I think that's how that S got dropped. <laughs> so definitely no divine plan from Vince or anything or from Dusty saying, oh, we're going to change. I don't think so. I think he just spoke his case that Majors Brothers sounds strange. Major Brothers is a lot easier to, to get out and process. Obviously, you, know, you guys debut, you're on SmackDown and everything else. You beat Noble and Chavo. Then you move on and you challenge uh, MVP and Matt Hardy, which is quite an interesting tag team they had at that point. But they were the tag champs. And that was kind of your first big major exposure on the scene. You guys were getting a tag title shot. What were you thinking at that point? What was going through your head You know that you're moving up the ranks within the WWE? Um, I, what I remember about that is that like we weren't really doing much at all. And then we got to TV without knowing, and they said, hey, you're going to win this Battle Royal and then wrestle, you know, the main event or whatever for the tag titles. Um, and it was just, we were just shocked, like, oh, shit, finally something cool. And we were just so thrilled to, 
be on the show and be doing something of significance. And then kind of your big break with NWE was when they had you helping out Edge. and They kind of created that rated R entourage thing, and they kind of repackaged you. You were Kurt Hawkins. They repackaged him a little bit, and he's Zack Ryder. And then they had the whole La Familia thing. What was your thought process on being put with Edge, and kind of what's your feelings on Edge? Um, the whole gimmick was kind of a shoot. You know, it was very legit. We pitched it because – Zach and I honestly were and still are admirers of Edge. You know, we think the world of him as a performer. Um, and obviously through all our, our time doing all that, we got to know him very well. And, uh, you know, we, we we call him Uncle Adam. Like, he's really uh, looked down for us for pretty much our whole careers now. And uh, I don't think I could ever say enough as to what that experience was like, you know, kind of shadowing the WWE world champion for a year um, and seeing everything that goes in that position and what he does and wrestling in main events every night and, you know, and we're there with the best seats in the house, you know, learning from him and seeing how it all gets done. Uh, I think that's really just something that's probably the most impactful thing without a doubt in my entire career and just something that will, that I think there's pieces of what he Edge does in every one of my matches and my style and everything I do. And I'll just forever be grateful for that whole experience. What kind of uh, mentor was he to you? I mean, like, what kind of advice was was he giving you and has he given you throughout your career? Um, it's not just one thing that I can pinpoint, but he was always my go-to guy, and he still is. If I, something's uh, puzzling me or I'm wondering about something, I'll go to him and ask his advice about it because, um, like I said previously, I just think the world of him, I think, um, especially at that time that we were – paired with him, and he was the best wrestler in the world. Uh, you know, you talk about baseball and the five tools and, you know, wrestling is like that too in a sense, and he was clicking on all cylinders in all five tools, you know, best in-ring guy, best promo guy, you know, he's the best facials, like, it, it, like everything you could think of, he was killing it. So um, he, he'd always be, and he will always be my, my go-to advice guy. Did you like that whole La Familia thing when they had Vicky and Travel kind of pair with you guys as well? Did you think that worked well? Yeah, I loved it. I think it worked really well. Um, it's probably the most, the most thing that comes up in conversation when I meet fans, you know, that that's what they want to talk about and stuff. So it made its impact on uh, the wrestling fans for sure. Very, very memorable time. And obviously you and Edge and, and Jack Ryder, very, very memorable time. But the name Kurt Hawkins, was that just, uh, again, was that something that you came up with or something that they kind of gave you? Um, so we we dressed like Edge as, you know, the twins, and we helped them win the pay-per-view match. He won the world title on Sunday. That was back when the whole roster was actually split, so we didn't even go to Raw. We just had a travel day and then showed up to SmackDown in Rochester. Uh, as soon as we walk in, I guess it came up in the meeting. Vince assumed that we were brothers for legitimately this whole time, and when he found that out, he was very upset. <laughs> Decided that he didn't want us to be brothers, the fake brothers anymore, um, and that we needed names. So we had about two or three hours to change our names for the rest of our you know wrestling careers. No big deal, because uh, they have to run it through you know legal department and stuff before they use it on the actual show. So we were just kind of like the rust into the whole thing. Um, mine came from 
Kurt Kurt is Kurt Hennig, who was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up, Mr. Perfect. And then uh, Hawkins is actually Taylor Hawkins, who I always told Edge. I thought looked just like him, and Taylor Hawkins is the drummer from Foo Fighters, if you don't know, and he, he looks just like Edge to me. Um, so I was like, well, I'm trying to be a fake Edge, so that'd be kind of funny, you know. So Kurt Hawkins. Hmm. Makes sense. Definitely uh, makes sense there. And that's so funny about Vince because you hear so many stories. I mean, who really knows what's true or not? But, you know, you said he's kind of fickle like that. Oh, you're not real brothers? All right, we're changing that. Is that kind of how Vince is? Is he like a real fickle, eccentric guy like that? Um, I mean, it's, I can't say in my run-ins with him, he was, you know, nothing but cool. But I never had it. I never said it in the creative meetings, and I never really had anything to important to talk to the guy about, you know, so, I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but I wouldn't really know. Hmm. I always hear stories about him being, I mean, weird and crazy and stuff, but, you know, as far as you and your career, then you took a big leap, you and Zach Wright, obviously you guys win the tag team titles, I believe it was Great American Bash 2008, it was a fatal four-way, you had uh, Morrison and Miz were a team, uh, Jesse and Festus were a team, and the other team was uh, your buddy Hornswoggle and Finley, which is an interesting pairing. But you guys win the tag titles. At this point, are you happy? You know, you're the, you're the youngest WWE tag team champion of all time, basically, and they're kind of giving you the ball a little bit to run. Um, yeah, there's another, like, surprising thing. It was something we just showed up that day, had no clue. Um, and we're just, you know, you're, you know, you're thrilled and honored to do it. Um, that was especially cool because it was in the Nassau Coliseum, which was, like, Zach and I's hometown arena and the arena we went to as kids growing up, going to all kinds of shows. So um, it was a very, very experience and something, like I said, I was honored to do. So, Is winning the tag titles as big to the wrestlers as it is to the fans? You know, like when, when as a fan, if, you know, a guy wins a title, certain guys are like, oh, that's awesome. They're, they're giving this guy some respect. They're giving him some props, you know, maybe some more money or whatever the case may be. But does it mean as much to the wrestlers as it does to the fans? Um, I think it depends. Like, yeah, like that was a big deal to us. You know, we were 22 years old and we won the tag team titles. You know, I won the tag team titles with my best friend in my hometown arena. You know, it's a big deal. If it's whatever, you know, somebody winning, you know, Dolph Ziggler winning the IC title for the seventh time when he should be the world champion, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal anymore because, you know, <laughs> he, he wants more, you know. So it's a case-by-case thing. And obviously, you guys were the youngest tag team champs ever. You guys are so young at that point. You like looking back, you got to think, you know, isn't it kind of crazy or almost a little bit surreal that you guys are that young and you're the tag team champs at the WWE? Yeah, I mean, totally. But uh, you know, I, I felt like we were working so hard, we deserved it. <laughs> so, uh, Good point. It, it, was, it was still really cool though. And you guys end up losing to um, Carlito and Primo. Did you expect to hold on to the titles a little bit longer than you did? Because it seemed like you guys were, you know, in line or due, like you said, for maybe a little bit more of a push. Um, no, I don't know what I expected. I don't remember anything like the future plans or whatever were never really um, said to us or mapped out for us. So I, I don't think I had any kind of expectations. I do know that I say we won them and then edged loses the Hell in the Cell to Undertaker at SummerSlam. And we knew that Edge was, like, taking time off after that. So we were kind of like, uh-oh, this might not be good, which it wound up being, but but it is what it is. 
yeah, at that point you kind of don't know where you're going because obviously you're so closely associated with Ed. So if he's injured or if he's taking time off, where does that leave you? And then they end up splitting up Zack Ryder and yourself. What was that like? Because you guys obviously, you know, like we said, OVW together, Deep South together. You went into the tag team titles together. You trained with Mike Whipwreck together. So what's that like as they're splitting you guys up for the first time in a long time? Um, it was the first time ever, period, like, anywhere. So um, we kind of asked, like, not to do it. It was thrown our way, and we didn't think it was something we were at all ready for or wanted, um, and they wound up doing it anyway. Uh, fortunately for Zach, he had that, like, idea to be that kind of Jersey Shore Guido character ready to go, where it's like, I didn't, I, it was so far from my mind, I didn't even have anything to, like, pitch. So it, it was a weird time. Definitely so, and it's definitely, you know, crazy to think you guys are together that long and then they split you up and they didn't have any real thoughts of what they wanted to do with you. So you kind of had to make a decision, and was this true or not? Did you want to go back down to FCW? Was that your decision to head back down there? Yeah, so what happened with that was they just, like, stopped booking me. Like, I wasn't doing anything, and I knew if that kept up, I was just going to get released at some point. So... I called Johnny Ace and said, well, what if I go to FCW? He's like, well, we're not sending you there. I said, all right, well, I'll go myself. I don't care. I said, I, I'm better than this. So that was my plan, which um, worked. You know, I, I, my plan was to outwork everybody and make my way back to TV, which I did. And then on the flip side, you know, I learned to be a singles wrestler. And my promos, you know, working with Dusty, you know, got leaps and bounds better. You know, it really changed my career. Um, but I didn't get paid for the whole time because I was volu- you know, I was voluntarily there. So kind of crazy, but uh, it all worked out in the end because ultimately I just believed in myself. Which is great, but what was it like working with Dusty? Because if you're on a one-on-one level with him, it's awesome. And we had the unbelievable honor, but almost bittersweet. We actually did his last interview ever. It was a couple of days before he had passed, and it was just such a surreal moment for us on our show to be able to talk to him and, and him, you know, him to be interacting with us the way he is. And he was so cool with us and we barely knew him. So how was it working with him when you're working on him together on a one-on-one basis like that? Oh, uh, he's just incredible. I mean, everything you hear about him, that's true. Uh, just a total, um, trailblazer in the industry and just someone who just, he, he always looked at wrestling like, differently than everyone else. You know, he was more uh, creative than the rest of us, I feel like, you know, which uh, it just made him such a genius. And uh, I was totally honored to work with him. And he really did help me out in the sense that I probably couldn't cut a promo when I got there. And then when I was, after a year, and by the time I left, I was very confident in doing that kind of thing. And the interesting thing down there in FCW is obviously now everyone knows it at NXT and it's completely different than it was when it was FCW. Now they're investing time, resources. Triple H is, you know, it's his baby. He's down there all the time and obviously doing this and that with the Performance Center. But when you're down there and you're kind of doing your own thing, it's the Dude Busters, which is actually a pretty good uh, Freebird-like team. Is that something that you guys kind of came up with together or is that something, you know, handed down from above that they want you guys to work on? Um, I'm trying to remember. I I think we did it on, there was just like a random six-man tag book on an FCW live event, and we did it there, and 
Dr. Tom and Dusty, like, popped for it, and then Dusty just kind of, like, wrote it into the TV after that. So, because the Dude Busters are already a team of Cannon Croft and Tremperetta, and they added me to it and did, did it Freebird style. Now, with that last thing you had at NXT and then going back there, did you ever expect to see these outside of WWE faces making their way into NXT the way they have? Because I think we just referenced it not too long ago when Jushin Thunder Liger appears on an NXT card. That's kind of the head-scratching moment of the year when you think about it. No, I mean, I never by a while expected it. I think it's cool as shit, and I'm glad it's going on. Um, I got nothing but praise for it. I think it's super cool. You know, the fact that Nakamura is on NXT right now is pretty badass, you know. Um, I love that WWE's open to that idea now where it seemed like for so long, you know, they'd never touch somebody like AJ Styles or whatever. You know, it's very cool that they realize, they're like, okay, if this guy is someone that's over, you know, in Japan, I'm sure he'll be over with our audience, which is pretty good general rule of thumb. Now, do you think that opens the door for other talents to come back in at some point? If they're bringing in guys like an AJ to be a veteran or an Austin Aries, do you think it opens the door for other past talent to be like a, a one-shot deal or a uh, like how Rhino was. He's in for a couple months, he's here, he makes an impact, and then he's gone again. Yeah, I think if they're open to the concept and the way it is now, there's almost like uh, no possibility that it couldn't come true kind of thing. You know, it's like uh, the options are almost endless as to what you could see, which is cool because it keeps the product very unpredictable and stuff too. Would you ever think about heading down to NXT if they asked you, you know, maybe for a training for a week to help the guys or, you know, make, maybe make a brief appearance like Brian Kendrick did at that one point. Did you ever think about maybe doing something like that or have they ever reached out for, you know, to you for something like that? Um, I still have tons of friends that are involved, whether it be the office or the actual roster and things like that. And if the situation ever occurred, I would absolutely love to do it. The thing that was cool about FCW then, though, is kind of like – that creative freedom a little bit, like you said, where they were like, oh, you guys were the Dude Busters, Brian Myers is in there. Oh, I kind of like that whole Freebird thing, and you guys went that tag title. That's the kind of cool thing. Now it seems like NXT, and you hear this from a lot of different guys, very choreographed, and you don't kind of get that spontaneity anymore of it. Do you see that problem in wrestling today where it's not as spontaneous as it used to be? You know what I mean? That um, it's just kind of I mean, I, I get it because I was there, and I understand that, Sometimes it's tough to kind of uh, buck the system and do what you want, you know, because, you, you know, ruffling feathers is going to get you off the show. You're, you know, the fear of that is there. I think as a fan, what I really don't like about modern-day wrestling is when I can just tell a promo is, like, being regurgitated word for word with, like, you know, no, none of your own input whatsoever. I think that's terrible. Um, and people need to have more guts in that sense and just, you know, say, no, let me say it the way I would say it, not word for word how you wrote it on this piece of paper. I think that needs to change. Um, but the, that's just, there's just always going to be authority and you can't, you can't just completely, you know, piss everyone off <laughs> every time. But as a wrestler, when you're sitting there thinking and you're watching, let's say, the Attitude Era and you're watching Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock cut promos and you know that, that maybe they have bullet points, but they're definitely not reading off the script, 
do you think those, you know, those promos in that era would have been completely different if they had to read off a script? Because I don't even know if they could capture the essence of Austin or the essence of the rocker. And maybe any, any guy really capture that essence if they're reading off a piece of paper. Yeah, no way. It's just, it's not possible. And you can't even put them in today's shoes with all the restrictions and PG and this and that. It's, it's not even, you can't compare it. So two completely different things. Definitely two completely different eras. And if I can go back, to when you actually returned from FCW and went to SmackDown. And it was kind of one of my underrated teams where I really felt like, oh, they could do something with these guys. Because if anybody knows Vance Archer, a.k.a. Lance Hoy, actually, if you watch him now, he's, he's actually, you know, he's a good wrestler, good worker, and he's a big guy. And then you have you, this, this you know, small, obviously smaller than him, you're not small, but smaller guy in the team. And it kind of, to me, the gate crashers, it actually looked like it was going to work as a team. Did you kind of feel the same way and kind of feel like maybe they dropped the ball a little bit because two underrated guys, with, you know, the size difference and the ability, they could have done more with you guys? Um, That was weird, man. Like, they called us up. We had, like, I want to say we were pushed for, like, a month to six weeks, and then it just stopped cold turkey. I never got an explanation about it, or I've never heard even, like, a rumor as to what really happened. I I honestly don't know. So I I was excited about it. I thought it was great. I'm a big – Shawn Michaels, Mark, and uh, I was I looked at it as like a Sean Diesel type, you know, big man, little man mm. team. Yep. I really, uh, I embraced it. I, I really liked it. That's kind of like what I was thinking too. I like the, the the size difference, and I thought that that could have been a cool team. And you kind of see a push coming, and then not a push. Is that a frustration while you're there? It's like almost like what are they doing here? You know, like I thought we were going to push, now we're not getting a push. Is that something that always ran through your mind? Yeah, it's just. It's, I say this a lot in my interviews, like, wrestling is not a real sport. So if I was on the Met and I was the best hitter, I'm going to be in that lineup every day no matter what. Wrestling's not like that. You know, the best player isn't always, you know, in the lineup. So you can't – it's it's out of your hands. You can't get so frustrated about it. You know, you just got to do the best with what you're given at any opportunity and make the most of it. But really, at the end of the day, if someone doesn't like you or doesn't want to – book you, you're not going to be be in there. That's definitely true. And obviously, you know, Zach Ryder, you're obviously a long-time friend, he was kind of a victim of that a little bit. I mean, he got a huge push. He was over. His his woo-woo-woo, uh, I mean, everyone was saying it. They were all chanting it, and he was getting over. Did you love seeing him get over like that and then hate, on the other hand, seeing that that kind of went away and they didn't really do anything with it, which was shocking? Yeah, it's brutal, and it's, it still goes on, <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. And he just proved WrestleMania. He's still relevant. The people still love him. Uh, they still react to him. So uh, it, it never, ever made any sense to me why it doesn't – it's never been a consistent thing. Um, I, I book small student shows that, you know, our, our building holds like 150 people, I think, at capacity at Creative Pro, and I book those shows. So that's my experience in booking. But that being said, if I had a talent who got the reaction that he got on that Sunday night and then even the next Monday, you know, that following night on Raw, I would feel obligated to continue using said talent and booking him. But, you know, it's bizarre. Some things don't make sense. And I guess, you know, you being a longtime veteran wrestler, you don't even understand it. So us as fans at some point, 
we're just completely in the dark and clueless on it. But something like that is, is definitely, definitely strange. But the thing that really got him over, I thought, was, again, going back to the spontaneity and uh, the organic, was when he did that awesome YouTube show, and obviously you were on it a lot. I just thought that they should have, maybe they didn't like that he did that or whatever, but I mean, the Internet Championship, that's funny. Him saying that he's going to get the brass ring and he's getting over and he's climbing a fence. I mean, all that stuff to the fans is so funny. Obviously, he had millions and millions of views. Do you look at something like that and say, wow, this was like the Attitude Era, the YouTube thing, you know, that would have been huge. But in this era, they kind of just shot, shoot down things that don't make sense. Like, that should have been kept going. Um, I mean, it, it was huge, so it was this huge. I, I don't think anyone in the history of this business is ever going to get over that that big, like, completely on his own, too. I mean, there was, like, no TV time at all in that. Um so that's something to be commended. But like I said, so, you know, a couple of questions ago, it's <laughs> wrestling is not a real sport. So if they don't want to use them, they're not going to use it. It just ends right there. That's it. Unfortunately. Now, didn't you and Tyler Rex also kind of break off and do your own YouTube show? Um, yeah. Long story short, Rex, he got a computer program and taught himself how to animate and he really wanted to use it basically. So uh, he talked me into making like a, which is kind of ironic because we got in so much trouble for it and had to stop doing it after like three or four episodes. But it was an adult comedy, which, as we all know, WWE has an adult comedy on their network that they did last week. So maybe we were a little too uh, ahead of our time. <laughs> now you said you got in trouble. Why did you get in trouble for it? They just didn't want you doing it at all. Uh, we were just ruffling too many feathers. We were ripping on talent and. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that, but that was the whole point of it. So, and I, I do feel like it definitely would have got over that just by the reactions we were getting on social media and stuff alone. So, but we were we were uh, asked to please stop, so we did. <laughs> that, that's hilarious, though, because I love when guys kind of like Zach did, like you guys did, kind of go off on your own. It's like, all right, let me try this because I want to get over, and, and I'm not going to do it you know, scripted, all this other stuff. I'm going to do, try something organic. I'm going to try something funny. So I always love seeing stuff like that. And that's why you guys have always been so different. And it's so funny because you will try something different and you will go against the grain. And I feel like NXT right now is kind of going against the grain, even though there is a choreographed thing of it. And even though it is WWE, it is kind of going against the grain a little bit as far as it almost looks like ROH or it almost looks like an indie fed. What was your experience in your brief time down there in NXT? Um, I, I loved it. I mean, I uh, I got to take Billy Gunn's class for a month straight, um, which I thought was a blast. I didn't mind that at all. Um, and then at the shows, I had just awesome matches. I got to wrestle Sami Zayn a few times, which uh, all those matches I adore. I thought they were awesome. Uh, I got to wrestle Neville a handful of times. So it, overall, it was a great experience. Not to mention, I came from... D-Stop and OVW, which were like hole-in-the-wall dumps, and this is like a state-of-the-art building that I'm training in with like, you know, an incredible gym and eight rings or whatever, you know. It was it was like a uh, wrestling sleepaway camp for me, like vacation almost. It was great. Yeah, like you said, way different than Deep South or way different than OVW, and 
they've definitely stepped up their game, and I guess they're trying to right some wrongs with developmental because they haven't really had a guy come into the system or through the system in a long time that was, you know, a big name or very successful. But were you shocked when you kind of got released from WWE, or, or were you, was that something you were expecting? Zero uh, percent shocked, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, uh, basically, I I tore my PCL in like late 2012. Um, sir, I had surgery in Alabama, like Dr. James Andrews, the whole the whole nine. And then I just things never really got rolling after that. They they would use me so sporadically, and I tried, you know, pitch everything I could. Um, but you can only do so much writing emails sitting at home, you know. So I was so, like, out of sight, out of mind for almost two years. So uh, I was very prepared for it. Um, and in that time, I opened my school and and whatnot to keep me occupied, too. So I, I was I was fine with it. And a lot of people always say, like, oh, you're getting paid to do nothing. That's great. But, like, you try it. It's not great. It's, like, uh, it's really bad for your self-esteem, almost, I'd say. And I was, like, borderline depressed because it's something you love so much and you're almost being paid not to participate in it. So it was a real lousy feeling. So um, I had, you know, eight amazing years in WWE, and I felt like it was a much-needed break and totally time for it. And you mentioned uh, Create a Pro and, and the gym you started. Obviously, you and Pat Buck, who's a good friend of the show. How is that gym going? And did you see any guys from that gym that can really make it big? Because I'm thinking of... Anthony Bowens or somebody like that, like a young guy that you really see a lot of promise in at that gym? There's probably too many guys to name that I, that I think are doing great and have tons of potential to make a name for themselves in this business. And I, I, I purposely won't name them too because I don't want to inflate any egos to as their coach. But uh, <laughs> I, I truly think if you're serious about being a professional wrestler and you live in the New York or New Jersey area and you don't come to our school – you're you're only kidding yourselves because you're not going to get better hands-on current knowledge like type training that that we're offering that basically no one else in the area can do for you. Which is great, and obviously Pat Buck and yourself doing Wrestle Pro in New Jersey, which is one of the biggest indie feds around, which I personally love, and um, great going to those shows. But if I could wind it down as we start to. Uh, head towards the, the finish line here. I was just very curious with somebody like yourself. I mean, you've wrestled everywhere. Like you said, eight years in WWE. You've kind of been there. You've done that. You won tag titles basically every different place you went, including TNA tag titles, which was awesome to see you and Trevor Lee there make a shocking appearance to Global Force. But do you have a favorite match or matches that you've had throughout your career? Um, I get asked that question a lot. I never really have a great answer for it. I'm always hoping that like obviously my best match or favorite match is still to come. I mean there's tons that I cherish and hold close to my heart but uh, I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer. Hmm. How about some favorite opponents? Have you had a couple guys you really meshed together with or somebody you just loved going out there and facing? Do you remember a little mini feud you had with Trent Brett in WWE which was fun. They didn't do a whole lot with it but that was a fun little thing, but do you have a favorite opponent or maybe a couple of favorite opponents? Um, yeah, Trent might be my favorite opponent ever because we just uh, we've known each other since we were kids and we started and we just mesh well, very well. Um, I, I loved wrestling Christian the handful of times I got to work with him. 
there's 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 tons, too many to name, but those are the first two that come to mind. Now, obviously, just wanted to mention Global Force again quickly because you're doing a lot of shows with them. You're working closely with Jeff Jarrett. Obviously, there's a big WrestlePro show coming up with Global Force in Keyport, New Jersey on June 11th, which is going to be huge. But what's the whole transition like with Global Force and working with a guy like Jeff Jarrett? Um, I dig it, man. I have like I, I think I have a man crush on Jeff Jarrett and a real crush on his wife. I just think they're the best, man. They're so cool. Um, I've enjoyed like just learning from them and kind of seeing them on the business side of things. You know, he's very, very intelligent wrestling man. And as he should be, you know, he's been around it his entire life. Um, and it, it's funny, you know, I was in WWE for eight years and he's obviously been gone for so long. It's just one of those relationships you know, I never thought I'd ever develop, you know, that I can say that, like, you know, I've become friendly with Jeff Jarrett and I, I love working for him. I, I love, uh, Global Force, I, I think their vision is pretty cool, and the opportunities I've been given to work with them have been great, and it's been a lot of, uh, it's become very consistent, a lot of regular shows, and really fun shows, you know, so it's been a blast. And it was pretty cool to see you guys in TNA, I kind of alluded to it before, but with uh, Jeff Jarrett, obviously, with having that strained relationship with TNA, it was shocking to see a Global Force invasion, and you guys had some pretty damn good matches with the Wolves. I believe it was like three matches in a row. Just like, wow, look at, you know, this amazing. They could have this all the time. But was it kind of surreal to be a part of that invasion of TNA with Global Force? Yeah, that was so fun. I mean, the Wolves are incredible. Like, they're just like a true and true tag team. So that was the, probably the best part was to be paired up with them and just have the opportunity to have such good matches. Um Besides that, I love that it was it was six weeks of TV, and we knew that, and it was a storyline that had a start and a finish. You know, I think they could have got more out of it for sure, because I feel like it was buzzworthy. But it was fun to be a part of, like for sure. Very shocking. It was cool. You know, you guys obviously were being part of Found for Glory, and you could just TNA leave a lockdown thing. So a lot of cool things and a lot of good memories of that invasion for. Sure, definitely like that. But for you, we always like to ask this question, and it was prefaced to us by Diamond Dallas Page, so we'd like to kind of say it the same way, and that's, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, I don't know, man. Life is unpredictable. Who knows? Who knows? Where would I like to be or what I like to be doing? Uh, it's a different story, but, I mean, as long as I'm wrestling and making my living, I'll, be, I'll have a smile on my life will be good, so that's all I can ask for. And if you could, obviously, you know, you have a lot of fans out there bringing the Prince of Queens. You have a ton of fans, but not only Queens, but all over the world, but where can the fans kind of reach out to you? Twitter, Facebook, or what are some of your plugs? Uh, I'm very accessible on Twitter. I, uh, my handle has been kept the same at, at the Kurt Hawkins. Uh, I have a web which has tons of merch on it for you to purchase, and also all my upcoming events and flyers go up there. So if you're ever looking to see the Prince of Queens in person, that's on MyersMerch.com. Uh, and then back to the training side of things, I am a trainer. So uh, if you're in the New York, New Jersey area, please head up CreativeProWrestling.com and see if that's something for you. Creative Pro is great. Wrestle Pro is great. So again. June 11th, Keyport, New Jersey. Check it out. It's Russell Pro versus Global Force. It's going to be a huge, huge show. So, Brian Myers, thank you so much 
for coming on with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.